0: What's up, competitors? We're back. It's a brand new episode. As always, my name is Jake Thompson. I'm excited you are here today as we get to introduce one of the biggest names in sports. Former Sports Illustrated writer, best selling author Don Yeager comes to the show to talk about intentionality, success, and why no one succeeds alone. That's right, competitors. We're back. It's a fresh week, but it is still all about getting better every day, competing to be your best self, and doing what others don't so that you show up as your best self at work, at home, and in life. Before I get the chance to introduce just this award-winning speaker, coach, 11-time New York Times best-selling author, Don Yeager, and we get to talk about intentionality, his sports career, and how he beat the greatest, Michael Jordan, one-on-one in basketball. I want to remind you about a few things on the show. If you haven't reached out and said hi yet, do me a favor, drop me a note this week to podcast at competeveryday.com. I love hearing from you. I love getting to know each and every one of our listeners. Uh, And so it's always encouraging to see those emails pop up with the subject line, I compete. So podcast at com with the subject line I compete. Tell me about yourself, what you're competing for, what you love about the show, what you want to hear on the show, and I'm gonna send you back a little special something. If you are not yet connected in our Facebook community, go to facebook.com slash groups slash compete everyday. Check out the community. We've got a few thousand competitors in there, people just like yourself who are passionate about leadership, about showing up as their best self, and just trying to learn the ways to build their mindset, build their mental resilience, and start showing up better every single day in life. And then finally, if you are new to the show, if you are new to Compete Every Day, I wanna challenge you to check out competeeveryday.com in the top menu tab, click start here. They'll tell you more about the brand, how we are not a me versus you mindset, but it is all about me versus me. How can I beat yesterday? every day you'll find additional resources the community learn more about our apparel our coaching our podcast which you are here now and some of the other programs we have going on including raising competitors our parents driven program to teach the same skills that we talk about at Compete Every Day, only distilled into a format for youth athletes ages eight to 16. So a lot of information, a lot of things that you can get plugged in and connected to to keep showing up as your best self or learn how you can start showing up even better at work, at home, and in life. So competeeveryday.com, click the Start Here tab, and if you see a shirt, if you see a tank, if you see something on that website right off the bat that you know you gotta have, Use the code PODCAST to get 15% off your order at CompeteEveryday.com. That's code PODCAST. Now, enough about me. I'm excited to welcome this guy to the show. We have a fantastic conversation in store for you about life, about being intentional leaders, about succeeding, and why you have to learn to hate losing. Don, good morning. Thanks for coming on today.
1: Hey, thank you so much. Appreciate you being here.
0: I'm uh, I'm quite honored to have you on the show. Excited as we laughed about some of our mutual friends before we hit record. Uh, I'm sure my listeners are very familiar with your work, as I've kind of prepped them and talked to them about this show. But for someone that's just tuning in, is is new to the Compete Everyday podcast? Uh, you've got quite the career writing, teaching, telling stories. Give us a snapshot of what you're doing today. Uh, and then I'm going to flash back as I've, uh, I've got some stories of yours I want to dive into.
1: Sure. I uh, know what I'm doing today. I, so I, I did retire a quote unquote from sports illustrated an early retirement, uh, package that I took 10 years ago, which is crazy. Um, uh, but, uh, that really coincided with a really important time in my life. I just become a father for the first time and, uh, didn't want to be on the road, uh, 200 days a year, which is what sports illustrated, uh, basically took. And, um, But do, so I did, uh, I took that retirement package today uh, in that, in the interim, I write, I write one book a year generally now. Uh, My 29th book is the one we'll talk about, I think a little later. Um, I've been lucky. 11 of them have become New York Times bestsellers. Uh, So that's a good, um, as my son says, that means that 18 of them have failed, but that's good. (laughs) Um, uh, And then, um, but it's because I'm teaching my son to compete every day and understand that you know, so in his opinion, if I, if I'm not on the New York Times list, I failed. Uh, (laughs) What do you think,
0: uh, what has been your key? Let me ask you on that. Doing a book a year, that's a, that's a big task or big challenge uh, that not a lot of authors take. They usually take a little more time between books. What's been your key to success in cranking out those books every year?
1: Well, uh, I would tell you the first part of it is I don't use big words, so it helps me a lot. Uh, Just joking. But no, I think the big piece of it is just uh, discipline and process. I mean, I I understand uh, very early uh, in one of the early projects, I I developed a process that for me allowed me to know um, and stay on task. Um, And so it was just um, very deep, uh, very deep work into uh, how I outline projects before I ever even get started on the writing. And by, by, defining the process well staying disciplined and staying to it um, I'm able to, to, to continue to produce um, at what we think is a pretty reasonably high level
0: so well, you speaking of your outline I heard you mention on a podcast interview you did in the past about that process and how for you it's worked really well because you're a master outliner putting your plans together so that if you wake up on Monday morning and you don't feel like writing chapter two, you already know where six and seven or eight are going. So you can kind of jump in. How did you develop your own process or how many years was it of of trying this or trying that until you figured out the process that works best for you?
1: Uh, It was easily 10 years in. I mean, you know, so now I've been doing this for almost 30 years now. So it's crazy, but uh, easily it was 10 years in when I, was just struggling. You know, I, I, I tried all the other process things that we might talk about or somebody might talk about, get up every day, you know, get an an hour earlier than everybody else, commit an hour to writing, you know, do this, do that. I tried all the schedule based uh, processes and suddenly I just realized, you know um, when I'm writing a long form story in the magazine, for example, I, I mean, I don't just start and, and, and go, I, I think through the process from beginning to end, I think where I want the story to start, I think about how I'm going to tie that in to the closure of the piece. And and I, and I thought, why don't I apply the same process I do just at a macro level, right? Uh, into the book writing world. And, and um, from that moment on, it's amazing uh, the purpose it has served for
0: me. I love the fact and want to hammer home the fact for our listeners that You said it took you 10 years to get that process to where it works best for you, that 10 years to an overnight success story and and how easily it comes together for you in in ways now because you have your process. And so for those listening that may be in year two or three, it's okay to keep working and testing and figuring out what method works best for you. In addition to your writing, I know I kind of jumped in a little bit. You also have some companies uh, that you own and as well as your speaking and, and coaching business. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, real quick, I do. So we own a, a communications firm, 180 Communications. Most of our work in that space is uh, doing media training and uh, branding, branding work in the world of athletics. Uh, with um, I, I, This fall, uh, about the time that this podcast uh, airs, I'll be uh, standing in front of the Alabama football team. Uh, we do um, UCLA basketball, Michigan, Notre Dame. Uh, A lot of big schools uh, bring us in to bring myself and my team in to work with them. The NBA, Major League Baseball, use us to help them work with um, young athletes mostly around how to be better at um, messaging uh, for themselves by understanding what brand they want to present when it's over. And uh, so we kind of start with the end in mind and then move backwards with them to try to make them better.
0: How have you seen that change dramatically over – I mean the last few years even with the increased use of social media and and everything else that it's almost the work that you're doing there is even more and more important because not only do the players represent themselves but the school and something that happens in a local bar down the street from campus 20 years ago and maybe a rumor around campus but now it's on national headline news right and
1: on top of that it's you know um Heck, it's, it's how the, the young people uh, that we're working with are uh, thinking about social media and its potential impact, right? So today, you don't think of anything, right? I'm just entertaining myself and a handful of friends. Well, five years from now, you're going to be a top-level Division One recruit, and that uh, off-color racist uh, misogynist uh, joke that you decided was funny on uh, a social media platform when you were 13 or 14 can be... Damaging. I mean, heck, we just saw yeah. it with a kid uh, from Parkland, you know, one of the, one of those uh, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, uh, young man that that had applied and had been accepted into Harvard. And and then when, you know, things that he wrote four or five years ago on the Internet surfaced, uh, his Harvard application was his Harvard uh, acceptance was rescinded. It happens. And 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 trying to be trying to help people be aware and alert is 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 a real piece of the goal. We're not trying to scare anybody. We just want them to be more thoughtful. Uh,
0: I know as coming into this conversation, we probably, a lot of our listeners thought we might be talking a lot about your work and, and we will. What I found fascinating prepping for the interview is a lot of your lifestyle and, and the way you've set your life up and structured your life that I think is incredibly valuable for our listeners. One of which is, is conversations around balance and how, you know, a few years ago you were on the road speaking. A certain number of times of year, but you had a, uh, an agreement with your family and with your wife that you wouldn't be gone more than a few nights a week, uh, within a given week and, and setting up a structure that worked for your family so that you were there with your kids, because as you shared, you were a father a little bit later in life. How has that, how did you guys come to creating a sense of quote unquote balance with your work with travel um, that fits the lifestyle that you and your wife and family want to create.
1: I mean, I'll be honest with you um, uh, it 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 really kind of grew from uh, from crisis, right? We had um, I had entered the world of beginning of of a speaker uh, as a second career, essentially, right? I mean, I had a successful career as a writer and in, in the magazine world and uh, newspapers, and now I'm writing books, but I'm adding speaking to the mix. And suddenly it just took off and it took off to the place where, um, you know, 90, 95 events a year, crazy. Right. Um, and they're all paying and they're paying reasonably well. And you're sitting there going, gosh, what a neat opportunity in my life to make this kind of money. But obviously to do that, I was gone a lot. And sometimes I'd be gone eight, nine, 10 days in a row. Right. And so we hit a place and it was a bad place, you know, in our family, and our marriage. And it was a, you know, it was a conversation, frankly, around a marriage counselor, right? Where, um, where we sat down and we said, it, you know, my wife said, this isn't working. And, um, and it was a conversation that said, well, what would, and then it became the hard part of, and if that's going to work, gosh, what do I, I've got to give up. And every time I give up money, like, you know, every time I give up an opportunity, you know, part of me, I'm wired to earn, right. I'm wired to go work and earn. And, and then I had to learn how to communicate that to her. And by the way, I, I'm passing on these opportunities because I'm living to our commitment, but, but, but learning how to say it in a way that's not, I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty or anything else. I just want to be really straight. And, um, and so she accepts it that way and she's grateful in that way. And the kids are grateful in that way. And, um, and so it's an open conversation in our family, in our, in our office, in our workplace. Everybody here knows that the second Don is booked on a, for the third night in a week, the week goes red, right? Which means it doesn't matter if you offered me a hundred thousand dollars to go that night to go do something, we turn it down and we, um, and we really think it's important to, uh, to live it uh, unconditionally. And then to make that a, um, a principle for all, for us.
0: Well, and, and two things you said there that I want to ask about for our listeners, because we have a lot of people that travel as well with work is, and having those conversations with their kids of, of why dad needs to leave right now, why mom needs to leave. How have y'all approached that? Because obviously you've set up the structure that once you're gone three nights that week, the rest of the week, week is in red and you are there at home. How have y'all kind of brought your kids into this knowing where you are in your career?
1: So the second piece of it, it's actually, it's ironic that we're having this conversation on this week. I know it doesn't run on this week, but um, uh, this week, uh, so each three years ago, my children are now 10 and 9. Actually, my, uh, my son turns 11, my daughter turns 10 uh, this, uh, this summer. But um, three years ago, we began a process where each one of the kids go to daddy's schedule um, because we're real open about my schedule. And um, in April, they look at my schedule and they pick a week during the summer that they're going to go on the road with daddy and um, and we look ahead and wherever the travel is taking us uh, other than what I'm responsible to do, right? Whatever I'm required to do, uh, they fill out the rest of the schedule. So earlier this summer, um, my son picked Dallas, right? So I had, I had speeches on one particular day, but we went for three and for the other two days and we used one day to retrace the steps of Lee Harvey Oswald, and try to determine whether there was a second shooter, right? That was our entire thing, and, <laughs> and we we did that together. We interviewed people who were experts. We went to the school depository, school book depository. We did it all so that we could try to figure this out. You know, it's just fun, and he'll remember that for the rest of his life. It's cool, and he's ten, right? I love it. Uh, this week, my daughter and I went to Kalamazoo, Michigan. I had speeches there for a, a wonderful company uh, called Humanex, and while we're up there, I mean. Speeches were on one day, but we were there for two days prior to that. And, you know, we went to go ride in the sand dunes of Michigan and we went to a beach in Michigan. We live in Florida, but we went to a beach in Michigan for whatever reason. Um, My daughter wanted to go visit an alligator sanctuary in Michigan. We live on a lake in Florida, (laughs) alligators in it, but we went to visit an alligator sanctuary because for her, that was a cool thing. She wanted to see it and experience it and she'll talk about it for the rest of her life and it's cool.
0: I love that. Uh, One of my mentors, uh, Carrie Wilkerson has talked about to me with her kids, she planned similarly. She'll build into some of her speaking agreements, the importance of taking a kid with her on one of those trips so that they can go so she can spend time with them. And so I I love hearing that creating that lifestyle. The other thing that you, that you mentioned that I want to hit on that I actually had a conversation last night with an Olympian about is the starting over the building a successful writing career and then getting into speaking. And it's kind of like starting over. And a lot of athletes struggle coming out of their professional career where they're the top dog, they're used to it. And then they're having to start a corporate career or a new lifestyle and you have to start over. And it's very frustrating to start at the bottom again. How did you handle that transition period and what are things that you did to keep that growth mindset of learning, growing, getting better versus being frustrated and just going back to writing only.
1: So I I would tell you the first and probably most important thing I did was, um, I set, uh, targets for myself. Like I thought, okay, if speaking is going to be a new opportunity for me to, and, and again, you're thinking I'm a, I'm a storyteller by nature. That's why that's what I do but it's a whole different game doing it from a, from a page and from a stage, right? It's so two different, really two, two big things. I never used that phrase before. I'm going to, I'm going okay. to, I'm writing it down. Um, but it's a different, it's a different animal. So, uh, the first thing I did was I went and I looked and I thought in the topics I would be interested in the beauty of Google, right? Um, who are other people who are doing it really well? And then I literally dedicated myself over the course of, several weeks to just looking up their schedule and where they were going to be doing what they do and just stalking people like you know i just went and sat in an audience and said wow that guy's really good and man what can i learn from that and making notes and frankly waiting in line like a fanboy right at the end and saying hey by the way you don't know me here's who i am can i is there any way i could get 30 minutes on your phone uh, on a phone call later uh, at some stage whenever you're in an airport, just to ask you a few questions. And so I, I literally sought out really talented people in the space I wanted to go and then just went to watch and learn and be, uh, and be the rookie, right. And acknowledge I was the rookie, not, Hey, everybody stop. I'm in the room. No, nobody noticed, please. All I'm here to do is to be the rookie. And, um, and out of that, one of the first important thing I got was go hire a coach, which we would do for anything else, right? So uh, I went and hired uh, a coach and the very first coach I hired looked at me and said, God, you're a, you know, you're a, you're a dude and you're sizable and you need to, you need to boom. Like people need to like feel you and, but that's not the way I talk and that's not the way I carry myself, but I tried it and I, and I stunk at it. And so I fired the coach and went and found somebody who said, no, here's what I'm going to teach you about how to use the voice you have and the the way you modulate to to be really effective as a speaker. And um, I continue to be coached 10 years later. I mean, I'm constantly looking to take what I do um, as game film when somebody records a speech that I do and most of the companies do. All I ask for is the film and I take it to the coach and we break it down twice a year so that I can continue to get better.
0: I love that. Uh, And one of the things that I've learned over the years in speaking, and especially in storytelling, is the importance of being present, especially when you're on that stage. You have to be present with the audience, be present with the story. I heard a conversation about that you'd shared on a previous show about when you were in college, you had the opportunity to leave early or return for your senior year and somebody had paid you to return for your senior year and almost slow down. It was, I think you mentioned that it was a process in learning to slow down and be present in that moment. How do you, in, in a world of today where everybody's pursuing success and we're trying to get to quote unquote there so fast, how do you constantly remain present? Not only in your work, but it sounds like you have a really good handle on staying present at home with your family.
1: Yeah, you know, I, um, not always, but I, I mean, I, I haven't always, I, I'm, I'm, my wife will tell you I'm so much like, she will tell you that, uh, you know, we were on our, one of our very first dates and, um, and I answered a phone call in the middle of the date, right. In the middle of dinner, because it was a source that I needed to talk to. And she was like, man, I, I don't know who you are, or who you think you are, but by the way, that either never happens again, or we don't, I mean you could just date somebody else who really would think that's cool, and um so again lots of lots of learning often as as you're getting being taught to me by my wife, um, but a big part of it is just uh, ultimately uh, being very uh intellectually disciplined. Um, I think you'll hear uh, that that's a word that we talk a lot about, and so for me, wherever I am, I turn whatever else it is off so that i can I, I can be the best I can be. Um, where I am. And uh, that's frustrating for people who are trying to reach me at times. Um, but, it, but but, hope, but it's, but it's uh, impactful to the person I'm with, which is awesome.
0: Have you, have you found, in addition to that, obviously turning off your device, other things that you do to help reinforce your discipline or, or safeguard you from a being present, being in the moment with these conversations, with conversations or the speaking that you're having?
1: Um, a lot of it is about eye contact, um you know something coach shevsky uh taught me w- years ago we were talking uh during an interview I was doing with him at duke about how important um it is to uh to be established um eye to eye as a, and that when he's talking to you he wants you looking at him not because he not because he wants to be a center of attention but because it means you're paying attention and so much is missed if you're not looking at someone so i am you know, nothing drives me more crazy than the person that's in conversation with you, but looking over your shoulder, right? Yep. The next most important person that they can encounter, and so I'm uh, enormously attentive to the idea of eye contact, and um, uh, again, just all these things that I, I work on as personal disciplines to try to be um, uh, be respectful and present. We look at present not as we look at present as just a baseline respect. Right, uh, it's what we expect in our office workplace. Uh, when we do conference, when we do when we do meetings downstairs in our conference room, heck, you, the president of the United States could call and no one answers their phone. Right, no one looks down at their phone because we all understand that's kind of an important part of who we are culturally.
0: Which I love because in the sports space, if a player's on the court, on the field, and they're not present in that moment, they're thinking about three plays ago or five plays ahead or when they're going to get their next break, the defense or the offense is going right by them. The defense has already stopped them. We tend to lose that a lot in life of, of staying in the moment, being present with the people we're around and the work we're doing. Um, so I love always talking about that. I want to shift gears a little bit before we run out of time about sports, because that's what you love to talk about it and what makes great teams, what makes great individuals and players. I'm curious from all your years of writing and watching and studying athletes and teams, what was one aha moment that just stood out to you? If something that you saw or witnessed that you immediately said, I can apply this to my life.
1: Yeah. Uh, one that I did. i a huge aha for me, uh, involved some work I did with Michael Jordan and an opportunity I had with him in which, you know, there was a conversation around the importance of, uh, of high performance. I mean, I ultimately, I lead um, or I, I, I finish just about every interview I do with something in which I get a chance to ask them, you know, to name a habit, something they work on, uh, it's, to be the very best they can be, to be, to do what others can't. What is the the habit you focus on? And Jordan uh, shared with me how active he was in the idea of um, that, that he believed that if you, if you are okay with finishing second in anything, right, you'll, in his opinion, you'll spend your lifetime there. And so you have to hate losing more than loving winning, right? Winning is, is kind of, it doesn't give, the great ones really the thrill it gives most of the rest of us yeah. because they kind of expected it, but losing has to hurt at anything, and he and and he tells a pretty good story to me. But at the end of it, what he's really trying to say is that the that the way you execute on this idea is that you make an intellectual choice. Again, we're back to in, discipline and mental mental choices. Uh, never to let excuses um, cross your lips, right? that, that something doesn't go your way. You're not there to blame. The ball was wet. The referee had it in for me. Um, you know, the court was slick. Uh, you, you because by the way, all those, all those things exist for everybody else in the court too. Right. Yep. So if you've got an excuse, uh, for failure, for, for something not going the way you intended it to go, and that becomes your way of, um, of dealing with loss, you'll never own it. And so, um, if you want to learn how to hate losing in his opinion, the way he was teaching me this, you just stop, you stop the excuses early. You don't let people make them for you. Um, you don't, uh, and you stop others on your team from making them when they occur. And when you can create a culture like that, um, and you own losses, man, it is amazing. Uh, it's amazing how it, how it can generate energy, um, and, um, and focus and discipline.
0: Yeah. I mean, that personal responsibility, that taking ownership for the, for your actions and where you fell short. I I love that. Uh, and I hadn't heard that true or false. You played one-on-one with Michael Jordan as well.
1: Did. Yes, absolutely. At his, he has a, he has an old man basketball camp that he invites, that he invited me to a few years ago. And, uh, I I had an, a one-on-one opportunity with him, and um, I just I'll file it. You your your listeners can check this out later if they want to, but uh, but but they're but they're listening to the victor of that <laughs> uh, of that one-on-one competition.
0: Awesome. I love that. I I, uh, I love that, and I love just the the story and the the lesson that not only did you hear what Michael how Michael was saying it, but really the lesson you pulled out of that, of what he was teaching uh, beyond just, you know, the hate losing, but really what it's about of not making excuses, accepting responsibility. One of the last questions I want to ask, because in sports, I feel like we see this as well as in life. We, we've run across this in Hollywood and, and champions in sports and champions in life, people that go through in such a rush without the gratitude without any gratitude for the process, get to that victory. And they either think, is that it? Like I worked my entire life for this one championship moment. I feel so unfulfilled in it. Or on the opposite end, they've used everyone that they know to get to that point as a pawn almost. And they're there to celebrate by themselves, which is still a lonely feeling as well. The people that you've seen in sports and in life that have been able to succeed and even maybe those who haven't that have still found joy and fulfillment in the process, what has set them apart? What is something they've done or you've seen that it wasn't, Hey, I got to the end of the road and I look back and think, did I do all of it for this moment? And this moment isn't that great, but I'm actually thankful to be here in this moment. I've enjoyed every step along the way.
1: Well, I I think you hit on it right there. I think the very best recognize, um, that almost nothing is accomplished, uh, by yourself. Right. I mean, even in what we would call individual sports, tennis, golf, other things. I mean, the truth is there, there's a team around them that serves and support, um, even at the, even at the the youngest level. Right. I mean, there are people that are that are there to help make sure that you're able to bring your focus to the right, to, to the moment and, and be your best when your best is needed. Right. Um, I love John Wooden was my guy. I, I mean, I I had a chance to work with coach Wooden last 12 years of his life. We wrote a book together, but I love his whole, his pyramid of success, right? Is, I mean, the peak of the pyramid is competitive greatness. It's that willingness, that ability to be your best. But, but it's, but that, you don't, you don't go from the foundation to the peak without going through the importance of, you know, industriousness and hard work and enthusiasm loyalty and, you know, all the pieces you have to build to, all of which require you to be um, uh, to, to be respectful and grateful for the people that help you get to the to the peak. Uh, we don't arrive at the peak alone. No one does. And um, And if you do, you certainly don't stay at the peak for long. And so those I know who who have arrived and stayed there uh, have done so because they've they've valued uh, the journey. And in the value of the journey, they value the people that made the journey with them. And I I love watching that. I love, you know, it's um it's just it's I mean, it's so much fun to watch a team when they're experiencing, you know, the that like how are they in that moment? But then how's the other side, the team that lost, right? How are they? They just made their way to the sixth game of the NBA finals if you're the Golden State Warriors, right? Yeah. Where where are you guys together? And I loved watching the way the Warriors kind of manage themselves in that moment too.
0: Pretty yeah, awesome. absolutely. Uh, well, thank you for sharing. And that just hits home for our listeners. Not only the importance of embracing that process, gratitude throughout the process, but the the circle of people you surround yourself with, that you work with, that you support as well as the supporting you and, and making sure those five are who you want to be the average of. Uh, Don, we talked briefly, you've got a book coming out uh, here very soon in this fall that's available now for pre order. Tell us a little bit about it because it's not their traditional sports book that we might expect to see from you.
1: No, it's my first non sports autobiography. Uh, it is with the youngest recipient of the Congressional Medal of Honor. Uh, his name is Kyle Carpenter. Uh, he was a 19 year old Marine in Afghanistan uh, serving with his best friend. And they're on a rooftop uh, with the rest serving as sentries while the rest of their uh, platoon is is resting behind them. when when uh, the Taliban launch a grenade that lands on the roof and um, it lands between the two of them. And, and Kyle uh, instinctively dives on the grenade to save his buddy. And 71 surgeries later, Kyle Carpenter ran the Marine Corps marathon. Wow! It's uh, the single most inspirational human being I've ever been around um, to tell his story is the greatest honor I've ever been given. And, uh, Uh, yeah, it comes out this fall for Veterans Day. Uh, the title of the book is, um, you were worth it, which is what he says to people who thank him for his service. I love that. Um, Yeah. It's the, it's, I gotta tell you, I can't like, I can't even just give you the two minute version of it without getting tears in my eyes. It is that impactful. And the lessons that he shares are really incredible.
0: How did you want, how did you get connected to his story? Um, is my first question on it.
1: Yep. One of my employees, um, uh, her husband is a Marine and and we ended up meeting through that process. So, um, you know, Kyle had decided he wanted to write a book at the right time. And this just happened to be the right time. And when we talked, it clicked. So
0: how, and then the second question is how did you manage with such an just incredible story? And and you've written some amazing stories. This one, sounds like it's i mean you're already a little choked up talking about it. it it's hard not to when you hear that. How did you manage your emotions in the writing process for this so that it you didn't you weren't too overcome to be able to accurately tell that story
1: uh, well the uh, short answer is i didn't I, I didn't manage my emotions. The truth is the story there are t- there there were times you have to just pause right um, and say i got i 've got to let my emotions um, happen right now, because it's just too, too to, to try to bottle them up would have been ineffective, I think. So there are there are times of, I mean, heck, last night, he and I were on the phone working on captions uh, for the photo insert for an hour and a half, and uh, heck, I, I cried twice just looking at pictures of him taking his very first step out of the hospital bed, and you know, of, of the president draping the metal, around his neck. I mean, it just, yeah, there's just parts of a story like that, that if you don't stop and have a tear in your eye, then you probably aren't aren't the right person to write it.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So Don, for anyone listening that wants to learn more about your work, uh, potentially work with your team, your organization, hire you to speak or even find out where to grab this book on pre-order, where can we get best connected with you?
1: Sure. Uh, website donyeager.com, and it's d-o-n-y-a-e-g-e-r.com. Though so I own the other spellings of the name, <laughs> the, uh, you're foolish not to, right? And then, um, uh, and we'll um, would love to love to be in touch. I mean, we're we're the, the reason we love engaging in these podcast uh, opportunities is just the chance to get to get to be engaged with more and people that we wouldn't otherwise uh, probably uh, cross paths with.
0: Don, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for taking time today to join the show. Okay.
1: appreciate it, buddy. Thank you.
0: Thanks again, competitors, for tuning in to the Compete Every Day podcast. As always, get in touch with the show by emailing us at podcast at com, And don't forget to use your 15% off discount code podcast on any purchase at competeeveryday.com. Can't wait to see you again next week. And until then, keep competing every day. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Compete Every Day Podcast. Visit CompeteEverydayPodcast.com to learn how you can get connected with other everyday competitors. Contact the show and find resources to help compete for your best
1: life.